0: so check that out. Finally, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, just send me an email to robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's get rolling. Hey guys, I'm here with George Williams and Joe Anderson for part two of our discussion. So last time, if you tuned in, we talked about what's wrong with reliability. We also talked a little bit about some other stuff, but this time we're bringing positivity. Last time we got a little a little negative, a little down on the industry, but this time get fired up because reliability is not all bad. George, Joe, how are you guys doing?
1: Doing great, man. Thanks for having us. Doing really good, Rob. Thanks for having us on.
0: No, thanks for coming on. I mean, I'm excited like this weekend. You know, it's the first weekend of college football, my favorite sport, so the positivity is rolling right in.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: So let's get right into it. So so last time, you know, we talked a little bit about what's wrong with reliability. We talked a little bit about culture. Um, and then one thing you guys mentioned before we jumped off the podcast was, Joe, you mentioned that you wanted to really dive into the IIOT and the you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence. So we're going to start off with that so we don't miss it this time.
2: Uh, Yeah. Okay.
0: So Joe, we'll start with you. Where do you see reliability going over the next, you know, three to five years with the addition of, you know, the, the advancement really in AI and machine learning?
2: So I think, uh, the rollout of the technologies are, are going to be great. Um, things like AR and VR and those types of training mechanisms and learning, it's going to be phenomenal. It gives us another tool to add to the tool belt. Um, where I see that it's going to fall a little short is um, we have so many people that, you know, at this point, they don't even know how to fix something or what a tool is. And we're going to throw these fancy gadgets and and all the stuff at them on top of the fact that uh, they still need to learn how to become a great maintenance mechanic. Um, so I see that kind of as a pitfall. Now, there are companies that are mature enough and, and they're able to handle it, which is great. And there's a market for that, and I'm all for that. I'm not against the technology at all. I just think that um, we really need to get back to the basics and focus on getting people up to speed on how to be a great mechanic and and understanding automation and and these technologies and so many people don't um i think we push it because it's sexy and and that's great and it's uh it's great to talk about it's fun to talk about but if we think about it um you know we're trying to push something that i don't think at least in this country we're really ready for Unless you're a very mature organization, like I said, if you're mature, all things are go. Um, have no disagreement
1: with that. So I think I, I agree. I think the current platforms available from an IOT perspective require a mature organization. Yeah, but I think the landscape of the industry, the lack of skill coming into this in into that that arena from a skills trades perspective. Will alter what I I O T might mean. So, and what I mean by that is, I think it'll it'll move from here's data and throwing data at you to making more of the decisions and 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 simplifying your day to day work, whether it's from you know a, a, a. a sensor on a ladder that's connected to a hard hat or, or, you know, and, and it knows you don't have one on or, you know, like a room with an RFID and the hard hat has a sensor. So if you walk in without your PPE, it's going to tell you you don't have your PPE on or alarm somebody. Right. So, so I think there's a, there's a place for smart industry inside the current landscape to help simplify what skills trades gaps exist and, and, and to try to help that arena. I think with the the current iteration of IIoT being big data and and really focused in a in a big data space I think you're right it it lends to just a, an additional layer of complexity when we haven't really gotten down to failure modes yet and and so I think it's it's cool it's sexy but we still don't even understand how the pump fails but we're trying to figure out how the pump is correlated to the fan how it's correlated to you know, outdoor humidity, and, and we're not quite sure of all those things yet. And I think it creates a level of complexity, but I think it will iron itself out and move towards a manufacturing space where we're able to monitor the quality of the manufacturing with those types of smart devices and those types of analytics. So I think, you know, we might be in this kind of flux state where from an early adoption of Iaot perspective, mature, mature organizations, it makes sense immature organizations, it just adds a bunch of complexity, but I think the landscape of what IIoT is will, will change over time and, and gear itself more towards both the big data and making decision piece and the even smaller pieces to simplify your day-to-day work. Hopefully.
2: Yeah. And the concern is knowing, uh, the background that I've come out of and some of those immature organizations is that you're going to introduce this great thing and not get any value out of it. And that will kill, um, that in those people for a long amount of time until it can be proven to add value. And it's not anything with the technology itself. We know that it's like any other thing it's TPM, it's RCM, any of the systems that you can implement, um, but the failure comes at the implementation stage and the continuous improvement stage within an organization. So the technology itself is great. We need it, definitely needs to be there. There's a space for it for sure. And there's definitely value. The problem I'm going to see as a roadblock is going to be that implementation in an immature organization.
0: Oh yeah, no doubt. Like You can build a model, like you get data, you can build a model within you know a couple of weeks to a month And even have it at the deployment stage within, I would say, two to three months. But what that does for you, that's really where the rubber hits the road, right? Yeah. No, like one thing I wanted to say with this is, um, like, I've been working a little bit on machine learning at, at my workplace. And I do see it as a way to simplify our work. So like I work on a team and and a bunch of my guys their job is to look at oil analysis results and the way we've kind of used it so far is to sort the results into things that we need to look at and things we don't need to look at and so right away we're seeing increase in efficiency and like we're not looking at the samples we don't need to look at and we're looking at what we need to look at so it adds value in the sense that we're spending more time with the things that we need to spend time with and we're not wasting time. But yeah, like in terms of the deployment stage, like that's really the hard part. Like I'm still working on that end. um, And I don't see that really like, it's like any culture change initiative. It's going to take a while and it's going to take that time for the adoption to happen. Um, So let's get right into it. So, Lot, like last time we talked about a little a few of the downsides and in reliability and a lot of that was you know culture based it's kind of the stuff that we we just talked about with the you know artificial intelligence where we're having this this really this hard time with implementing projects so where do you guys see the strengths in our industry
1: i think the biggest strength or at least the biggest plus that i see so we'll, we'll start with a plus and then we'll move into individual strengths maybe so the plus that i see is that there's a there's a growing urge to learn in this space and there's a significant number of new faces that we see at at events there's a significant a number of companies that you're seeing bubble to the top in terms of in terms of their a, a you know, knowledge and implementation of asset management strategies. So I think, you know, the 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 good thing I see in this space is that it's starting, not starting to, but it is catching. And and we are we are seeing and sharing expertise and and really, you know, engaged as a, a whole in a community. Now, I I'll also say at the same point, we haven't we've barely scratched the surface of, of the companies that really could benefit from this, uh, from asset management and from reliability uh, initiatives. Well, I, I
2: think that's a positive as well, right? We've only we haven't even scratched the surface yet, and so uh, that's the good thing. Right? Yeah,
1: yeah, without a doubt. I, I think from a from a you know from a standpoint of the folks that you see on a regular basis, and and folks that you are already aware of, in- in our industry or in our, in in various industries that are adopting reliability practices and asset management practices. I think there's, there's, you know, while we're talking IOT earlier, there is certainly a recognition that we've got to eventually get down to failure mode. And and you see, you know, you, you do see a little bit more of folks uh, either having discussions around that or you know, in maintenance forums, trying to, trying to figure out exactly what to do or how to address those things. And I, you know, in, in the teaching at the university of Wisconsin, uh, I think I've seen a change in, in, in folks attitude towards asset management practices. It used to be that the folks would come into those classes and it would be, well, my boss sent me. And so that's why I'm here. And, and now you're seeing a lot more and each year it's more of this, of, of, of I know we need this but I don't know how to implement and I think that's a big difference a, a huge difference or indicator in in what our industry is doing and how we're reaching out.
0: And and have you seen a change at your workplace from you know from people that aren't in the reliability group so like you know operators or maintainers management.
1: So I would say specifically to the areas that that we've had direct involvement with or had the ability to coach and mentor the answer to that question is an absolute yes. But I think we've got a lot more work to do to reach a much broader audience.
0: Yeah, I, I think that I mean obviously it never ends, but you guys like you guys have been in the game for a long time. Um when you when you talk about new faces and new companies coming in, when did that start happening?
1: Well, I think I, I, so I think it's it's always been a case that there's been to the, say let's say there's a thousand people at a conference and there's probably two hundred of them that are new faces. I just think now you're starting to see that three three hundred and fifty of them are new faces as opposed to you know uh, uh, four hundred of them being vendors or associated um folks and 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 then there being this chunk of people that you see uh, at at very repetitive events, right so there there's a a few dozen folks that you see at every event or, or as many as you can. Cause well, quite frankly, they're your friends and you want to hang out, but, <laughs> but, 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 uh, I, I think, you know, from my perspective, the last couple conferences I've been to, I've been surprised at the number of new faces.
0: Yeah. That was one thing I noticed that at the reliability conference was there was a far greater number of people that I hadn't seen before And I think a lot of that it might have been just the the technology side, but it it seemed like it was a different crowd than usual.
1: Yeah, that's a good sign.
0: Absolutely. One thing I did I forgot to mention, but I wanted to talk about with uh, artificial intelligence was you you hear a lot of the the AI like data people they talk about you know hey just give us a bunch of data and we will makes information from it and i think that there's that's one thing that's kind of holding not only the technology back but also the companies that are asking or like that are buying the technology i think it's you really have to start with one a question in mind and two the failure like reliability fundamentals like the failure modes Like, like you mentioned, right? Like if you don't like a pump, a pump fails, you know, six, seven, eight different ways. It's not an endless, it's not an endless, uh, problem. And so attacking it in a way that's structured that, you know, like an RCM or FMEA type method, it works.
2: Yeah. The, the problem is, is we have to give them that data. And if we don't know the data how can we give them that data? And then the second piece is, have you ever dealt with an IDT department and tried to get data out from your site to somebody else? <laughs> offsite, <laughs> I mean, sending it out yeah, I mean, your network. Hey, yeah, yeah. That, that's not going to happen. Right? So, so uh, they're very strict on on what data can go where and that type of stuff. Um, so that's always a bottleneck during the implementation. I,
1: I And I think you, you know, you bring up a good point, Rob, it's about application, right? So, so there's not, you've got to make sure that you're applying, whether it's IIOT or RCM to the right equipment, you're not going to do an RCM study on your fractional horsepower pump. That's, uh, you know, spewing some domestic water around you're, you're, you're going to do RCM on your critical lines and your critical equipment. And so, uh, and so I think the same thing applies with any tool. I don't. I don't think it's restricted to IIoT. I think it's for any of the approaches or methodologies, and and many of them work. Uh, it's about the application and making sure you're applying it appropriately. And I think that ties back to value as well. You 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 don't collect predictive maintenance data on everything just because you can. Uh, it it's expensive, and so you know, and and you've got to selectively make sure you're collecting the right information. Now, I, I I say that in in a little bit of jest because one of the things I I use as a mantra is that you can always choose not to use data you've collected, but you can never choose to use data you didn't collect. So, um, from an I I O T perspective, and from a information in your C M S system, I'm a more the merrier kind of guy, but it still has to be, it still has to add value and it still has to um, be cost effective.
2: Yeah, I think cost effective is a key point. So there are certain industries that they don't care about the price tag because of the need for it and the use for it. But most manufacturers in this country employ under a hundred people and they're single entities. They're not big companies. So we're going to push out uh, a lot of these smaller manufacturers by talking about this great stuff that they're never going to do because they can't afford it and, and that type of thing, you know? So that's always a downfall.
1: Especially when there are, you know, you, you had mentioned, well, you can just do an art. If you, if you do an FMEA or RCM on a pump, there's only so many different ways it's going to fail. So a structured approach makes sense. And I think that's the, the same thing, right? Like you, you've got to understand what your cost benefit analysis is for each of these each of these approaches or technologies and it's it's not necessarily can i afford it or can i not afford it but what is what is appropriate and and then can i afford appropriate right i mean it's you, you know there there has to be value back to the business when you when you go to take on an effort like this and if a structured simplified approach works great and sometimes you can get Eighty percent of the value for twenty percent of the cost, right? If you're using a different approach, so you know, and I think that is really why a a good knowledge and understanding of all of those approaches, and a good knowledge and understanding of asset management, operational, and reliability practices is critical. I think if you, if you, you know, and and the same reason, and, and the reason why we go to so many events, you know, as many as we can. Is because you know you, you have to be continually learning, and I think if the more folks reach out and get that base understanding and that broader knowledge, then it the better it would be for their companies because they're making better choices.
0: Yeah, and re- like relating it back to the business, like the the economic value, which was something that you know we talked a little bit about last time. Yeah, so. I guess, I guess the next question would be when we're talking about our industry, do you see a difference between the, like the vendors, the consultants and the people who are practicing in terms of, um, like the knowledge level and the experiences and, and that kind of stuff?
2: I'd say that's a yes and a no, depending on who we're talking about. Right. I mean, You have a lot of your best industry practitioners become consultants or go to work for the consultants and leave businesses. So I would say yes in that aspect. But in another aspect, you got uh, at the same time when you're 1099 people or whatever and you're hiring a kid straight out of college um, and making him a consultant and throwing him out there to do things, you see a lot of that as well. Um, So I would say it's about the same. Uh, in the industry versus uh, companies, it just depends on who you're talking about and which company and those types of things.
1: yeah, I agree. I think there's I think you know I think you know the the common opinion would be that uh, the, those who can't teach right So the consultant industry would be the the folks that aren't practitioners, but that's not really the case in the reliability space. I think most of the consultants that 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 I know, have either been with those organizations for a very long time and are very astute at their frameworks and approaches, or they were practitioners. Yeah. And I think, I think what separates the two is, is, you know, a couple of things. I think as a practitioner, you want embedded loyalty and and you have this drive and focus towards your organization. And I think as a consultant organization, you, you're a consultant, you like to help a lot of folks and, and you're looking um, for a lot of small achievements, and 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 don't necessarily need to see the tie back to, uh, say, a widget getting manufactured. So I I don't necessarily know that there's a a a gap or a delta because of one or the other. I think they're individuals, right? I know practitioners that are phenomenal. And I know consultants that are phenomenal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that it definitely depends on who who you talk to. And I, I think each and and kind of along the same lines is each person that we talk about has different strengths and weaknesses. And so it's not really, there's no real good generic rule about it.
2: Yeah, but I could also give you a list of consultants that I've worked with that aren't known in the industry, but are considered reliability consultants that I've had to train myself as a practitioner because of their lack of knowledge. So, you know, like I said, it, it kind of goes both ways. I mean, I've dealt with that here recently, Uh, you know,
1: and and folks rely on consultancy. So, and, and consultancy is a necessary industry. So I I think, you know, and, and Joe's right because I've absolutely seen consultants come on site that, uh, say yeah, we do asset management, and they're a they're a you know a different type of consultant organization. And no, they're they're not experts in asset management, but they you know ten ninety nine somebody that used yeah. to be a maintenance manager, and they're and very so, good. They're very yeah.
2: good uh, lean practitioners or yeah. something. But they say they can do asset management. And so
1: I think it's it, one of the things we should we should you know just throw a piece of advice out there is that if you are looking uh, to hire a consultant organization, make sure you understand the, the expected value and exactly, you know, be very detailed in what it is you expect the consultant to hand over in terms of deliverables uh, so that you can make sure that it aligns with your business goals. And, and, you know, it, if, if your business objective is to have a, a phenomenal planning and scheduling organization, you, you know, is a two day training class really what, what is the right solution? And I think, you know, you should be looking back at your, just like any other scenario, looking at your business goals, looking at your business objectives, and then deciding what it is that deliverables need to need to deliver in order for you to be able to sustain that, that value. Uh, and I think a lot of times, you know, and I've had personal experience in previous organizations, we set either outsourced providers or consultants up for failure. We, we bring them in, we tell them exactly what it is we want. We don't allow them to give us their expertise. We just say this is this is exactly what I want you to do. And
2: this is what we want to do. And and
1: the consultant's going, Yeah, but that's not really gonna work. And you go, Well, I don't give a crap what you think. I'm the I'm the one writing a check. And and so, you know, and they bring them in and and then it fails and they go, Oh, that consultancy's terrible. They came in here and did a terrible job. So so you know, you really gotta develop partnerships, whether whether you are the practitioner and looking for a consultancy. Or you are a consultant trying to trying to get your foot in the door with a practitioner, you know it's really about understanding the business objectives and building that relationship.
2: And also, I would do research on who it is that they're going to send to you. Uh, does the person they're sending have the credentials? It's great to have a big name backing you, but if you're going to send me a new hire that's new to the industry and I'm trying to be the best that I can be is probably not the person that I want. Now, if I'm going to do administrative work or I got something else, I could do that just fine. But if it's going to be the one training my guys that hasn't ever done it himself, it would be hard for me to want to hire the guy. Um, You know, so you got to kind of do it that way. And then from a practitioner perspective, the one thing that I've always done and I tried to get better at was uh, growing my vendors with me right? Not just consultants, but even vendors say the Granger rep or the IBT rep or whoever, I would sit them down and I failed early on thinking that I would spit out what my expectations were and thinking that they would get it and they would, you know, provide the best service possible or whatever. But in order to become more proactive, every single vendor you deal with has to have that level of expertise. The problem is, is they're not going to. So you have to grow them with you and develop them with you. So what I did is I would always set them down. I had a basically a little contract and I went over what my vision is for my department, what my goals were and how they contributed to that. And then what I can do for them as a partner to help benefit them in their career. So the sales guy always appreciated it because I, I'd say, look, you could take everything I'm going to teach you and everything you're going to learn and apply it to other customers and grow your network and your sphere of influence. At the same time, you're helping me become better at what I do. So I would give them a list. We would sign this uh, document and I would keep it stocked um, and I would come back to it. And one thing I'd make them do is, I, you know, for example, if it was a Granger and we were working on storeroom improvements, I would make them provide one best practice every quarter to me that we can implement in our storeroom. And I would have them track the cost savings and cost avoidances that they have brought to us. And we would capture that quarterly so that I could show the value of having this vendor plus the value of what we're doing in the storeroom, I could share it back to the organization. And I would meet with them on a quarterly basis and if they weren't providing that value, I would put them on a 90-day plan, improvement plan. I'd give them a list of things that I expect them to improve on. If they didn't improve on it, then I would start searching out for other vendors. And I've never had to put anybody on an improvement plan. But the good thing is, is running that document through your legal department, you can use it against them to break a, even a corporate contract, right? Right is you have the documentation, you did all the stuff, they're not providing the service that under contract they're supposed to, and that always got me out of having to use, say, say one group as my preferred supplier, and I could go back and use another group because I had this documentation and they didn't fulfill their end of the bargain. Um, and so in order to get better, you have to have everybody at that level.
0: And I think for the most part, vendors are pretty receptive to working with you to get you what what you want.
1: I I, I, I would sell, right? <clears throat> yeah, I would agree. <laughs> I think you know it benefits them in the long run um to build a relationship. So they'd be foolish to to come in and do anything different.
2: The only thing they didn't like is that I forced them to study. <laughs> but they got over that fairly <laughs> they got over that fairly quick.
1: I used to put. I used to put in the uh, when I was responsible for uh, asset management on a regional level. We used to put in the objectives of the planners that they had to read a technical manual on one of the pieces of equipment that we have. Is so annually they had no choice. They had to read like you know whatever the piece of equipment was. They had to read the technical <laughs> manual for that. Piece of
2: equipment. <laughs> yeah, that's <a> great. Read.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's an easy thing to put in somebody's development plan and yep. and throw you know you know if you're thinking of, well what can I put in people's development plan you know education is is exactly what that's for right and there's a lot of forms of that you don't have to send them to necessarily a formal training they can they can self read yep
0: yeah we just hired a couple new engineers and we got them reading uh Ramesh's book uh like maintenance and reliability best practice and then the Doc Palmer planning and scheduling book
2: yeah, both phenomenal yeah Ramesh is great
0: so uh, a couple more questions so the you guys um Like this week, uh, the Paul Crocker podcast is up and you guys gave him a shout out at the Reliability Conference for being one of the people who, a practitioner who does his job really well. Is there anyone else in our industry? I guess you guys just gave a shout out to Ramesh, but is there anyone else in our industry that you want to give props to?
1: You know, before we move on to that, Paul's my hero. I'm just saying. Yeah, me too. (laughs) <laughs> Paul's yeah, phenomenal. So it's
2: hard to it, put somebody at Paul's level.
1: I think there's, you know, there are a lot of people I look up to, uh, and a lot of people that have helped me along my career path, and many of them are completely unknown in the in the world of asset management. Um, and then there are folks inside asset management that have certainly helped me, and I'd I'd hate to on the spot kind of exclude anybody in a in an individualized list. Um, but I think that what it, what what I will talk about is I guess the characteristics of the folks that I admire. And I think that the characteristics are are really about people that have a dedication to their craft and people that continually learn and then try to share that that knowledge and understanding. And and I think, you know, Paul fits that mold completely. Um, and, and so does Ramesh Galati. Uh, I think there are a significant number of people that, that, that are, that are in that category and in that arena. Um, you know, and, and again, I, I don't really want to single a whole bunch of people out and, and then unfortunately exclude somebody. And then I got to get 27,000 emails. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think that the characteristics for me are, are really people that, that continually are you know they're humble they continually look to learn and then they are open to sharing that knowledge and and developing their network
2: yeah i would agree with george but i'll give a shout out to three people i won't say the last names but joe patrick and trevor uh i love you guys man i look up to you a lot
1: not you didn't say george
2: uh George to George George Williams I'd like to give a shout out to George.
1: Williams.
0: No yeah like I, that was one thing I I guess I think is a strength in our industry is just the like the networking and the the community like everyone's willing to answer questions. Everyone's willing, you know, to interact with each other. And like, it's something that I've really seen just starting the podcast. Like I'm reaching out to people that I've never met and they're like, oh yeah, hey, we're, we're happy to jump on there and talk about what we know. Like you guys are, are two of those people. So, I mean, thanks for coming on for sure.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that. And I'd agree. I, I think in this realm, um, most people want to see you succeed and they're going to do everything they can do to help you succeed and that's what i
1: enjoy about it you know what's amazing is you know i've 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 been responsible for for asset management at a global level and have and have have been to sites all over the all over the world and, and different types of cultures and even in the toughest of those environments if, if you're able to sit down with the maintenance folks while you're trying to give them a training class and you can make a connection to them, they suddenly open up and, and you get, you have this camaraderie that, that you know, you don't really see in the accounting department, so to speak, right? True. Like, And I don't know that. Maybe it is there, but, you know, I don't really yeah. see it, but, but it, you don't see it in other areas. And, and I've been to, you know, European heavy union, like, you know, <laughs> If I don't get my way, we're shutting the site down kind of, kind of environments. And even those folks, when you get them to open up and they see that you have a, you you do know what you're talking about and that you have something to offer, they they are, you know, wide open to communicating, wide open to sharing expertise and wide open to, to continually learning for themselves as well as providing you some knowledge. And so. You know, I would say, you know, our discussions about what's right in reliability. What's right in reliability is the attitude of the people, whether it is the the shop floor maintenance staff, um, all the way up to the folks that are responsible for asset management in the organizations, the attitude about sharing and the camaraderie that this that that this industry, I guess if you want to call it that, or this this business unit of industry has. It's really amazing and, and is an absolute pleasure to work in. I mean, it's it's the reason why I love what I do.
2: That's for sure. It's a small world, right? You get to know everybody it's real
1: quick. It's a small world. <laughs> yeah. Sing it for me, George. <laughs> you got to sing
0: that. Show them the type of hero you are
2: of mine. Can you get a drum solo, please? <laughs> I'll
0: have to add that in in post.
1: <laughs> <There
0: you go. laughs> so last question for you guys before we get you out of here so when i spoke to paul i i asked him about his mindset and like really what drives his mindset and really he said he kind of broke it down into two different things one was he loves his job and the second thing was that he wants to see his workplace get better for everybody else like his colleagues and then also, like, deliver better results to his community. You guys have. Sorry.
1: I want to know why. I, I just want to know why, why Why Paul's part of like four different weeks of podcasts. No, I'm <laughs> <just kidding>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. Do, I think I did do three or four recordings with him, and we only released one podcast. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he kept pinging me. Going, we're gonna re-record. Paul's great. He's he's so fun. He's
0: great. So I, you know, no, they were they were great discussions. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so I think. um, Wow, what's what's my mindset? Um, whew, I, I I just have a I, I guess you know my father instilled in me a really good work ethic, and and I don't ever like to foul, and and of course. I, I do and I acknowledge that and I'm happy for that because it allows me to learn and, and gain experience. Um, but, but I try to I, I try to consistently be who I am on a daily basis. And I don't know who else to be or how else to be. And if those characteristics make me successful, fine, but I'm gonna live by them either way. And I think my mindset is just be myself. And, and, and because there's not anything else you can do. And I think when I, when I reflect on that from my, from, you know, um, and if I, you know, kind of look in the mirror and do my daily affirmation, it's, it's really, you know, you work hard and, and he's and good you, enough. He's smart <laughs> enough. You know, I, I, I try to work hard. I try to create net, uh, a network and I try to make connections with people. And, and really those are the things that drive me every day. Uh, you know i see i see my role in my organization as one who's trying to empower others and develop them and their leadership skill sets and and whatever that path that takes me down then so be it
2: yeah i agree with george and as a leader right we're uh we're hope dealers right the goal is to sell yeah. a vision, she yeah, said we're hope. Right? Evans H. Yeah, hope, hope dealers, right? Not dope dealers, <laughs> you know. But our, our goal is is to give people hope and and let them know that they have the potential to be great at what they want to be, and to set the vision, give them direction, and set them free to do the things they already know to do, and to escape the bondage of being under you know poor leadership or whatever. The goal is to get them to rise above that. Um, and that it's awesome that that's the best there's part nothing about-
1: better to watch right? no, i no, mean there's nothing awesome. better to see I, th- yeah. I think if i look back at my career and i look at what i think are are you know the the highlights of that every one of those is when i've been able to sit back watch and i don't mean because i'm lazy and i want to see others work yeah, but sit back and watch them collectively take on the charge and operate as a unit and 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 be a team and and do what they do best. And I don't really have to do anything except knock roadblocks down, right? And,
2: that's why I call it hope dealing because you get high off of seeing that, right? I mean it's 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 a rush, yeah. Right? yeah. And so you're a hope dealer, and you're going to give it to everybody else, get them addicted too. That's awesome. Yeah, that's the goal.
0: And see if anyone's still listening. The that's the benefit of reliability, is you can change like. Change people's lives, like you make workplaces better, you make people happier, and then you can make some money on the side.
1: Look, we're gonna get Paul. Paul's gonna be out there doing a rap talk soon. Like you know, a yeah, couple years ago, him. Paul did his first, you know, his presentation on photography, yeah. and he was—I mean, he was a nervous wreck. And and I think you know, the more Paul gets exposed to that, and the more people in the industry. Are helping to coach and mentor him, and any—I mean, believe me—the guy is completely self-learning and completely dedicated. But, you know, I know for a fact that there are folks that that you know help mentor him and coach him, and and I'm one of them. And and I, I, I the folks that are doing, it, I can't wait till the day he's up there knocking a rap talk right out of the park. It'll be awesome. <laughs> it is. He
0: could he could do it now. I mean, I don't see why he needs to wait.
1: <laughs> uh, I agree. I agree. I agree. I think the only thing stopping, stopping anyone. Right. And, uh, you know, not the single one is themselves. Right.
0: Perfect. So that's, that's about wraps up for us. So do you guys have anything to plug? Are you going to be at any conferences soon? Um, anything like that coming up?
1: Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll act. So a few things, so I will be at the university of Wisconsin, uh the second week in october so from the ninth to the whatever four days after nine is 13th <laughs> i did that i like he luckily a i didn't have a mittens really on <laughs> if i had mittens Surrey, on I been in Surrey, trouble. so so <laughs> so, <laughs> so <laughs> ninth to the to the 14th i'll be in the university of wisconsin teaching a couple of courses as part of their maintenance management certificate program so if uh if you'd like to come to, you know, literally some really phenomenal classes and a lot of fun, um, sign up for those. Uh, and then in late October, I will be at the SMRP conference uh, where I am speaking with ARMS Reliability. Uh, and then in December, I will be at uh, the International Maintenance Conference doing a, a short course with uh, Asset Analytics.
0: Perfect. Joe, do you have anything coming up?
2: From um, for- for me, uh, no, uh, I'm going to IMC, but I'm not speaking there. Um, but I'll definitely be there. But coming in January, uh, you know, we'll have some stuff as well. So.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely have you guys back on to talk about that stuff when we're when we're closer closer to there. But I will see you guys both at IMC. Um, unfortunately i won't be at the smrp this year so we'll see how that goes
1: awesome sounds good well we can't wait to see you at imc and uh you know we'll have to find a back room someplace and do a live show
0: yeah i'm gonna bring i'm gonna bring a microphone so we'll get you guys and then paul on and maybe some other people we can get some people to w- walk by and jump in so that'd be fun
1: yeah, that'd oh, be yeah. a lot of fun